Welcome to the Communion Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Erin. And I'm Ramonita. Communion is all about relationships over religion. Relationship with Christ, with ourselves, and with one another. And in a culture that seems so divisive, we're cultivating a community of truth seekers from all walks of life. So whether you have faith, no faith, or have walked away from the church, you are welcome here. We're ready to understand, heal, have tough conversations, and rebuild bridges. So let's get started. Let the reconciliation begin. It's better when we get together. Everything is better. IT, how's it going? Well, how are you? I'm tired, which I shouldn't be tired because I went away this weekend for 10 years being married to John, which is awesome. But I'm tired because I did not sleep well for some reason. We stayed at a really nice hotel, but I was tossing and turning. I just don't not sleeping in my own bed. So, but well, I'm not trying to complain. I'm just trying to be honest. I'm didn't sleep very well, but it was so nice to just be with John and have a little break and, you know, sit by a pool and read really good books. So I'm really grateful for the time after. Have you your work was here? Ten was a big milestone, you know, like in the world we live in today, especially. But not a lot of people are seeing 10 years any longer and so my thank you thank you jeremy and i are, i think we're going on here sick of marriage i've been together with that of course so what would you say is been some of the things that have just been contributed to the success of these past 10 years would have been the the joy of marriage that you've experienced gosh even though we officiate people's weddings, sometimes I still feel such a rookie at this. But honestly, I mean, we talk about in our premarital counseling that we do with couples that we're officiating the wedding of, uh, just being teammates, having the constant reminder in our head that we are on the same team. And if you're on the same team with someone, then you're always working to achieve the greater good as, of the team. And when you act and opponents you're working against each other and there is no team and so I think for us when I'm frustrated with him and it's mainly me who gets frustrated with him he really gets frustrated with me he's full of grace I have to remember no he's on my team and if I can't communicate this to him then we're going to be opponents and so just having that mentality which sometimes I felt was so cheesy and obviously I'm not the athlete in our family so it's I guess an analogy that works better for the athletes but it makes sense to me and I get it he loves me so well and he is patient with me and he does he keeps us on the same team once even when sometimes I want to try to act like an opponent so I'm really grateful for him and yeah 10 years I mean he was saying 10 years you know that makes me think is we're old it feels like it hasn't been 10 years and it has at the same time. I mean, we have three kids. Our oldest is almost eight years old, which I just can't even believe that he is almost eight. So it just feels, wow, we've lived a lot of life and we dated obviously for a while after, before we got married. So we've been together for a while now. We know each other very well. And those two was to stay in it and they committed to it which is which is so beautiful yeah it's interesting you know when I think about 10 years of marriage we live in a society right now where sometimes it feels easier to walk away or say you know I'm done with this and I think 
so often we think that, you know, we've gotten these happily ever after kind of stories that once you say I do, you ride off into the sunset happily ever after. And no, the work is 10 times harder to make it work and to choose every single day to be in the marriage. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine this past weekend and we were talking about this movie Fireproof, which nothing we say on here is endorsed or anything is just literally our own lived experiences. But we were talking about this movie Fireproof and it's connected to this book called The Love Dare, which if you haven't heard of it, it is so good. But it's this 40 day challenge, uh, just how to reinvigorate your marriage in a sense but through the godly lens yeah and so it's a challenge where it's the first day it's hey for the next 40 days you will not say anything bad about or to your spouse that's the first challenge and you're 40 days i can't complain about yeah or anything right the thing that i love about that challenge specifically is it takes the ownership or it takes the focus from your spouse being the problem or your spouse being the one that needs fixing or whatever to make you do your own heart check and say, okay, wait, 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 where am I, you know, as, as soon as you get ready to complain and you know you can't, you start to add up all the times where you would have the sharp tongue or where you would be the instigator, if you will. And so... I just think it's it's really interesting as you think about marriage to how much it can be a mirror for ourselves. So that person gets to see the realest, rawest version of you. Yeah. And all of you. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> and so when I say choose you and somebody, it really is a choice to say, okay, and I can deal with that. You know, I, I things, I know it drives Jeremy crazy that Anytime we get an Amazon package, I don't break down the box. <laughs> I just put it in the garage. <laughs> or if I or uh, if I don't put it in the garage, I'll put it in the recycling bin knowing it's taking up way too much space and it limits the capacity. Or 90% of the time when he gets in my car, it's probably on less than a quarter of a day. <laughs> I've driven your car. I've gone the before. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. Okay, I have 30 miles. I probably should go get gas now. <laughs> And so, you know, there's things like that that you have to say, okay, can I live with this? And so, I I think that's the beautiful part about marriage. It's a choice. And I guess all relationships are, but marriage is one where you don't get to just show up as your best self. You can show up as yourself and somebody's still choosing to live. Yeah. Well, I think that there's something so sacred about having places of safety in our relationships. And we we're praying before this call, this over communion and what we're going to talk about today, which is totally spirit led. But I have been caught by how beautiful having places of safety is or what a beautiful gift that it is to have places of safety in your life whether that's in a friendship or you're, you know, a dating couple or that's in your marriage. I mean, I would argue your marriage should be one of your safest places. And if it's not, that breaks my heart. But part of having a place of safety is the other person having to constantly put down their weapon. I mean, that's what you're alluding to in, in that 40 days of something is placing your weapon down and, and having everything that I'm choosing to say and do has to be for the greater good of us, of our relationship. And that is really hard to do. That's why I think our culture is so against marriage, honestly. And and I, I couldn't tell you the exact number of statistics, but I read those kind of statistics all the time because, like I said, John and I do premarital counseling and officiate weddings of people in our lives that we're close to and have gotten the privilege to walk with. And one of the things that we realized as we've done our research is that this generation, and I mean the current generations, I would say Gen Z, millennial generation, marriage is kind of 
fading out a little bit into the distance where there's all these polls and Barna Group surveys where people are not really willing to get married. And I think it's because it is such a deep commitment. It is such a big decision to make. And it is so hard to trust that there are going to be places that are always going to remain safe. While a place might be safe at one point in time, the likelihood of it remaining safe, hope is starting to drain out of that. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that makes sense. I think so often we expect it to be butterflies or rainbow and we expect marriage to be something that serves us. Yep. And actually, I think that's a problem with a lot of our relationships, period, beyond just marriage. We walk into relationships expecting to be served yeah. versus asking the question, how and where can I serve? And that's been something that's been, and how can, how and where can I serve the person? But then also, how and where can I serve God in this? You know, yeah. and you and I talk about this a lot and I have this project that, is evolving over time in my notes app of my phone, right? Around what I've learned about God through motherhood. <laughs> and I would argue what I've learned about God through marriage as well, sure, and the character of God. But in both of those relationships, being a parent and being a wife, I have seen God's face more in those two roles than in any other place in my life. But those relationships in my encounters with God and my relationships with my husband and my kids specifically prepares me to do life outside of my household yeah. even more so. It allows me to understand forgiveness more. It allows me to understand unconditional love. It allows me to understand grace and mercy. It allows me to understand sacrifice. It allows me to understand compromise. It allows me to understand tucking my pride and my ego away. It allows me to understand reconciliation. It allows me to understand forgiveness. I mean, and I can go on and on and on and on, but I truly believe even if you go back to Genesis where God said, for man was not created to be alone, right? We were never meant to do life alone. But when I think about that and as I've meditated and prayed on it, and even just now sitting here talking about it, I believe the reason why we are not meant to do life alone is because doing life together is the way that we can understand God's heart for us. Mm -hmm. Our opportunity to serve, to love, to be loved, to receive love, to receive grace, to receive mercy, but also to offer it as well. And so when I think about, you know, relationships with others, I think that's how we develop intimacy and, and a closeness with God through how we love to understand how God loves us. Yeah, absolutely. I do a devotional it's a prayer app, Collectio 365. I want to make sure I say it right because y'all need to download it. It is not endorsed on this podcast, but oh, I've been doing it for two years. I should know the name. Yeah, Collectio 365. And I do it almost every day. And it just, it, it prays and leads you through scripture. It's a form of prayer and it's a form, a form of reading the Bible. So you read it and kind of ask God what word or phrase stands out to me and kind of are, it's, that listening prayer of listening to what scripture says and what God might want to say to you through that scripture that you're reading. And the one that it was on a couple of days ago was in John, where Jesus is on the beach. I think it's John 21. I'm sorry if I get that wrong, but where Jesus is on the beach and he is having breakfast with the disciples after he has done what no other person in the history of humanity has done and that is he rose from the grave and it's the famous conversation where jesus is asking peter hey do you love me yes it is john 21 i got it right and he's asking peter do you love me and he asks him that three times and i've always been really captivated by it, it happening three times and i've heard so many sermons or so many different people try to break that down of why it was being asked three different times. Was it because Peter's denial of Jesus happened? 
three times. But as I was listening to it this time and, and we were reading it, I thought about it and I thought, man, it, it honestly reminded me of my relationship with John in a lot of ways because my John, my husband, even though we're reading out of the book of Josh, uh, because I had a new viewpoint of that question, do you love me? That it wasn't a, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It was more of this, hey, you're not listening. You're not listening to what I'm saying. I love you. Do you understand? I Do you love me? Do you understand I have your best intention? And that was kind of how I received it and, and read it was, it was almost as if Jesus was taking Peter's face into his hands and being like, Peter, look at me. Do you love me? Do you trust me? Do you know I have the best intentions for you and for your life? And it was so beautiful, such a different way to see it. It's kind of the way I believe Jesus intended it because that is Jesus' character. And I think that we're called to be that way to other people. And not that John gets it perfect, not that I get it perfect all the time with one another, but I call it the crazy train. Girl, I'm the conductor of the crazy train in my brain. I could take a thought and I could so far down the line turn it into a fact where I have a thought in my head and all of a sudden it is snowballed into a full-blown fact. There's no changing my mind. This is what you think of me. No, my, You can't say anything to change it. And so often, John has been the one who's come to me and been like, Aaron, I love you. And he just sits and he's just patient with me in the midst of my rant of crazy train. And he learned that from Jesus. Because I think that that is exactly what Jesus does with us is he creates these safe spaces of letting us go on our crazy train, go on our rabbit trail of thought. And then he takes us, he puts his hands on our face and he says, do you love me? Do you trust me? Listen, listen to me. Listen to what I'm trying to say. I love you. Do you love me? What I have for you is so grand. It's so great. You're you're going off on this tangent and getting freaked out and I love you. Trust me, I love you. And I thought about this. I was, man, can I truly love someone if I don't trust them? I don't think I can. And that was something that I thought about asking you today is, do you believe it's possible to love someone when you don't fully trust them all the time? Because that's kind of put me on my back a little bit in my relationship with God, because there's even this communion, us launching this and the journey that we've been on and trying to get it done, y'all, you have just have no idea how many attacks that we have received intensely in the last few months, especially. I would say for a while, but I mean, sickness, and it's primarily been through our kids, sickness of our kids. Mm. My middle son was in and out of the emergency room and now the hospital with some random, mysterious horrible virus last week that caused his whole body to swell. And that's just one week of delay of us getting launched on this. And, you know, it really put me on my face of saying, God, do I really trust you? Therefore, do I believe that you love me and that you have my best intention and you have our best intention in mind? Yeah, that's a good question. Can you love somebody that you don't trust? I don't know the hard part about trust is it takes so long to earn it. Mm. And it's so easily can be revolt, you know, when you think about trust. And I think it's why I, I'm on this journey to answer the two questions. Who is God and who does he say I am? Because yeah. there are things that have happened in my journey. There are things that have happened in my story, in my past right? So being here today, this sometimes I ask, God, where were you? But where were you when I was going through this? Why did you let this happen to me? Yeah. Or even sometimes when you look at other people's stories, why are they praying like that? Yeah. Why? Why? How could this be? I mean, even this past weekend, a little boy in Kansas City was shot for going to the wrong address, you know? And just as a kid laying in the hospital bed. And I'm like, God, 
why? Why do things like this happen? You know, why the divisiveness? Why the racial divide in our country? Why moms suffering in the world right now? Like, there could be so many things, and I'm sure there are so many issues I'm not even mentioning right now that make my heart sorrowful at times. But my question is why? It's funny because my three-year-old, her favorite question right now is why? And I try to answer it as much as possible, but eventually I'm, I do answer it. But there are times when I want to be, because I said so. Like, But there are so many times where I approach God like that. Like, God, how, where are you? Are you here in the midst of the pandemic when people are dying left and right? The result of it is so much mental health issues and everything. Where are you? And I think the hard part about that question is without knowing him, it's hard to understand, but he says, seek and you shall find, right? And so it means that we have to seek to know where he is in the midst of all of that. And then we have to trust that he isn't there in all of it. And that has been something, if I'm honest, that in my journey, I've wrestled with. God, how could you allow this to happen or whatever? But what I've found over time for me and how I've reconciled some of those questions or I found the answers to some of those questions has been if I just focus on that one instance if I just focus on that one moment I cannot find God in it but if I take a step back and I look at the way he's redeemed those situations he's used those details he's been in the story he's carried me when I look at the outcome when I look at a more holistic view not just that snapshot when I watch it play out I see a redemptive God I see a graceful God I see a merciful God I see a loving God I see a God that does not waste a thing yeah but it takes some maturity if you will to be like okay I'll trust you I don't understand this right here I don't understand why, but I will trust you yet regardless. Yeah. And so I think when it comes to God, understanding his character is the thing that allows us to trust and then will allow us to love and rejoice. When it comes to people, though, I think it's a little harder. Yeah. I think it's a little harder. And I think this is why trust is earned over time because we need to and i talk about this all the time the difference between judas and peter what is character versus what is momentary you know what is a bad character versus what is a bad what is a bad day and i think when you know somebody's character when they act in opposition to that it still allows you to trust them advocate for them love them but if we don't know somebody's character we don't have time to develop an understanding of that person's heart and that person's character it can be hard to trust <laughs> and so i don't know can you love somebody without trusting them i think of infidelity right people that they experience infidelity just because somebody cheats it doesn't make you stop loving them it doesn't you stop trusting them right it doesn't make you stop loving them it creates an insecurity around keep loving them right and trusting them it makes you question everything and so i i don't know i don't know that i have an answer to that when it comes to god we can trust him hmm. if we zoom out well you said something that i think is so true and that is trusting in the character of god and I think that's the difference when I just take God alone. And I think that's why so many people want to or have walk away from Christianity because they got caught up in a religiosity, if that's a word, being uber religious or a book of rules or 
a standard for living versus falling in love with who God really is and his character. The way that we view God is highly, highly, highly influenced by the way we view others and the way we view ourselves. And we project that on God all the time. And so if I've been through a lot in my life and have had brokenness in my relationships with other people, and especially all the more so brokenness with people whom follow God or who had a relationship with God and broke my trust. Now, all of a sudden, I'm in a crisis of faith and a crisis of a lot of other things because now all of a sudden the people who were the safest in my life have become unsafe and what that must be. So now my question is, God, are you really safe? And now I have forgotten God's character. And now we're at this juxtaposed position of trying to figure out what do I even believe anymore? I think of purity culture. I think of that a lot of friends that I have known who Maybe you're in a place where they're, you know, I don't know if I really ever want to get married because I have a hard time trusting people. And so they live with their boyfriends and they sleep with their boyfriend and they live together. They share bills and all of the terms. They are living as a married couple, but that legal binding thing is kind of what keeps them away from marriage because what if that person ever becomes untrustworthy? But going back to purity culture, they have this narrative that's been told to them their whole life that if they sleep with someone before they're married, then they are already married to that person or, you know, they're not under the will of God and God's disappointed in them and all these things. And man, if I heard that kind of stuff, I would be, well, then I'm that. I don't want to follow, follow someone who thinks that of me. And I, there's a little bit of rebellion in me in the fact of like, if someone tells me not to do something, sometimes I want to do it anyway. And so, and that's something that God's had to check my heart on a lot of times. But it's more out of the fact that if I would have believed that that was true, which I will say there were times in my life where early on where I believed that that was true. If I still believe that now, then I probably would have walked away from faith because I would have seen a, a false God. Because to me, that's outside of God's character versus God being, hey, I love you and I want you to know me and I want you to truly know me. And I that's what I say all the time um, to friends is I care far more about people knowing how much God loves them and them pursuing a relationship with God than I care about any of the other external things that people want to focus on and try to draw attention to. To me, I'm you live with your boyfriend, you sleep with your boyfriend. Okay. But do you believe that God loves you? Oh, you are in a relationship with the same sex and people want to make a big deal. I'm, okay. Well, I don't get to have an opinion about that right this second because I actually want you to know that God loves you and that you are created in his image and that he, you are beloved to him. And those kind of things have caused a lack of trust. Because people are not hearing that message very often. Everyone's focusing on the the sin instead of focusing on the relationship. God and his relationship with us and humanity is most precious favorite of all of his creation. And that God's heart for us has always been and always will be that he is running to us, towards us, because he wants to be in relationship with us. Even when we have been told by society that we are unworthy of it. And so going back to that, I think trusting the character of God really requires us to to dig into who God really is because it's really hard to trust a God that tells us that we're really screwed up and that we're only worthy of his love if we get our act together and clean ourselves up. Yeah, and I think when you were talking, I just kept thinking about three specific scriptures in the Bible if we really want to take it to the word, right? First, I think about the story, the infamous story of God with the Samaritan woman at the well, right? He asked her for some water. She's like, me? Little me? I'm here by myself while everybody else is around at the hottest part of the day because I can't come around those folks because they're judging my sin. They're judging my mess. They all know it and they all treat me a certain type of way. 
And yet here you are. You don't know me. You're clearly not of my kind. You're probably not even supposed to be speaking to my kind. And yet you asked me for water. Hmm. But the question that God asked her first, right? Where's your husband? Right? He knows that she's over here. If we will, hoeing around. He knows she's here doing her little thing. Right? And yet, once he reveals his character to her, she no longer desires those things. She no longer wants those things. He didn't have to convict her. He didn't have to tear her down. He already knew the answer when she asked the one person. And he told her he knew. And yet it still did not concern him. He still said, and you're worthy for me to ask you for a cup of water. Oh, and you're also worthy of me to offer you the living water, right? And so the thing that's interesting about that is he didn't have to cast out her sin. He didn't have to stone her. He didn't have to do any of the things that we are, judge her, whatever, that we are so guilty of doing. He didn't have to do any of those things. But as soon as he offered her something so worthy, something that only our God could offer us, you didn't hear about the fact that she ran back to those men or she ran back to whatever her situation. No. What did she do? She ran and told everybody about her Jesus. She ran everybody about the encounter of her Jesus. And that tells me, that takes me to two places in scripture elsewhere where I just, I was listening to a sermon this morning and then I just also have been just thinking about this is where it says, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. Matthew 6.33, right? I believe, or 6.34, one of the other. Uh, but, uh, no, 633, yeah, Matthew 633, where it says, seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. Mm-hmm. Take it to another place, like Psalm 34, 7. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will grant you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. In both of those instances, it tells you, seek God first before anything else, before mm-hmm. all the things be given up to you, all the things you could desire, all the things you could want, all of the lifestyle that you want to live or whatever. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. The other one, delight yourself in the Lord. And I remember hearing that scripture when I was a little baby Christian. It's the like, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And then I'll be praying to God for things and they wouldn't come. And I'm like, wait, isn't he supposed to give me the things that I want, right? Or, you know, people say, ask him and I'll be given to you. And I'm like, wait, isn't that how God works? There is this ideology that God is a genie. There's a whole path we could go down thinking God is a genie. But notice what it says first. And I remember somebody broke this down to me. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart because by delighting in the Lord, he will align the desires of your heart with his will for your life. And so, is and, and so I go back to that Samaritan woman and what you were talking about, right? About, hey, I'm not concerned about what you over here doing. It's not my job to convict you. It's my job to let you know that you're loved by Jesus. Similarly, it's say with Jesus when he was with that Samaritan woman at the well, know that you're loved, know that you're worthy, know that you're that alone made her want to throw off anything that she did before walking to that well that day. <laughs> and I think that's what it is. It's not to say that we're not gonna have selfish and ambitions, desires, sinful nature, whatever. But it's when our gaze is focused on God. It's when we have an understanding of his character. It's when we see ourselves as who he created us to be, the identity that we're meant to walk in, not the past, not the trauma, not the 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 stories, the narratives that we write about ourselves or that others have written about ourselves. Well, we really know who God called us to be, who God says we are. And one of the first things that he says is that we are love. Well, we know that we are love. Oh, but then he will give us the desires of our heart, right? Those desires being that of which he desires for our lives and what he created us for. And so I just think, you know, when you talk about, yeah, we're not sitting on this podcast trying to come off as lukewarm Christians or we believe that you could just do any of those things and everything's permissible and go do this and live this and do this. We're not saying that any means. But what we are saying is that before we even concerned with any of those things, we're concerned with the love. Man. We're concerned loving other people. We're concerned with acknowledging that Jesus loves us. We're concerned with getting that message across before we are over here trying to convict, condemn, do all of the things. Even Jesus says, for I did not come to condemn the world, but I came to save the world. Man. 
Yeah. Contending does nothing but turn people away. It puts them away. It, it tells people that there is no place for them here. Yeah. There is no place for their sin here. That they are not worthy here. That was the message that my Jesus preached. Yeah. Well, and Jesus' message wasn't a bait and switch either. So it wasn't, I love you. And, oh, by the way, let me tell you all about yourself and all things that you need to fix in order for you to be worthy of my love. I love you, but you're going to have to earn it. Or I love you, but it's going to be really hard to love you if you keep living this certain way. There's no bait and switch. The account that you talked about, the woman at the well, the focus of that scripture is what? Love. Love. But the focus of it is their relationship. The focus of that whole conversation is their relationship. It isn't on her lights of sin that she had lived. The focus on it was him restoring her of saying, hey, you actually are not seeing yourself as I see you. And who I see you to be is so much greater than the identity that you're living into now. And so I'm not resetting your path to, by telling you I love you. I just don't approve of you and I don't like you. It's you actually in your head do not believe your life could amount to anything. And by focusing on my relationship with you, I'm going to reset your path and you're going to live a life that is far beyond your wildest imagination because you never believed you could achieve that or you never believed that you could live that way. And that is God's message for us. It's the same message when he's with the woman in, that's caught in adultery and she's brought into the town square and all those people who are about to stone her and Jesus stoops down the sand and he's writing something and we don't know what it is. And I believe it was him taking the attention and the eyes off of her and her shame and putting all of those eyes on him and giving her a breath for just a moment. But then he says to to those people who are about to judge, throw the first stone. If you think that you're so perfect, go ahead and throw the first stone. And they drop their stones one by one. They walk away. Once again, he's, well, when they walk away, what does he say to her? That's the craziest thing. Right. When he looks. And I, and neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. He's saying, listen, I mean, I've heard people say Jesus was the only one who could have thrown a stone. And I, I always kind of laugh when I hear that because I'm yeah, and that wasn't a thought that crossed his mind because that's not the the character of Jesus. But honestly, that is how a lot of our society portrays God, is God holds a rock in his hand and he's like, I could do this, but I'm choosing not to. And that's because I love you. And I would say, no, God actually never had the rock in his hand to begin with. That's a manipulative God. <laughs> but it's a God that a lot of us have walked away from. It's a God that I had to walk away from because it's honestly not who God is. The God of the universe is not like that. And all through scripture, his character is so different than what I was growing up to believe. And I think that that is a really hard message. I've received a lot of flack in my years of doing ministry for that, the way that I approach a lot of the things that were, you know, all, all the sins that I grew up being told, don't do drugs, don't sleep with your boyfriend, don't booty dance. <laughs> that dates Four. me. That dates me. But don't, you know, all, all the things that were, oh, those will separate from you from God or oh, those make you really sinful. And I'm so grateful for the grace of God that God kind of took me honestly out of that super Pharisee religious type and brought me back to a place of me being able to see my own brokenness and yet and yet feeling God's embrace in my life feeling like God actually loves me on my worst day and he doesn't love me less on my worst day he loves me just as much as he loves me on my best days and and that message was transformational in my life and my journey and a lot of it comes from a book that I will plug because they're not paying us and it changed my life. And that is called The Cure. And y'all need to read it. It's by three dear, dear men that have given words and language to what I felt like I walked through and struggled my whole life. And that is that be, in order to be a Christian, I had to live my life from 
from behind a mask. And it, mm. it's just, it's incredible. It's incredible. Look it up. The cure. But, but that was one of the first things that we read as we walked on this journey together, right? I had never heard of the book. And I think it was your third or fourth time having read it. And we walked through it together and it was so transformational. And when I think about the women that we were just talking about, the one who was going to be stoned or the Samaritan woman at the well, the inter- the most interesting thing about those women and similar to what the book the Carrot talks about, right? Once they encountered Jesus, once they had a personal encounter with Jesus, yep. their entire life was transformed. They were not their sin. Yep. They were not what they were judged for. They were not shamed. They had received this abundant grace. Yeah. This abundant love. Yep. This beautiful, undeserving at that. Yeah. Great love. Yep. Yep. And because it was so undeserving, that was the very thing that made them want to follow. Wow. You could love me despite. You could love me even if. You could love me knowing all the things. Yeah. Just think that that is the beautiful part about our own journeys when we encounter God. Mm-hmm. Just the things that we're so, so undeserving of. The last thing I'll say here is what you and I talk about often. Mm-hmm about people walking away from the church. Part of the reason we started this was to address what I call a dying faith. Hmm. It's hard to say you're a Christian. We've talked about it on our podcast before. Yeah. It's hard to say I'm a Christian right now because of the perception of it. And there are so many people that we know, even in our own lives, that were once on fire for God, involved with the church, every ministry, there every Sunday, hands in the air, worshiping God, doing all the Christian things, all the acts, right? And now one, no parts of God. No. And you have to ask yourself, well, why? No. And what it really boils down to is, yes, there are some bad brand ambassadors of Christianity, as we'll call them, right? But people are encountering Jesus for themselves. They're encountering Jesus through somebody else or they're depending on somebody else's encounter or interaction with Jesus in order for them to experience him. And so oftentimes we are making people our God. Yeah, flawed people are God versus going to the true God, the true living character of God. And who will always fail us. Yeah. And so oftentimes what I think people are walking away from Christianity or the church is because they were actually following God in the first place. They were following a pastor, an institution, an organization, a devotional, whatever. And as soon as that thing crumbled, so too did their relationship. And so the question I would ask is, have you encountered Jesus? Were you walking with Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the character of God? Do you know who God is? And do you know who he says you are? And how he calls you to be? It comes back down to these two foundational questions that as we're on our journeys, we have to answer in order to, to really walk this thing and believe it. Totally. Well, and with the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery, their expectation for Jesus in that moment by their reaction to him, I would guess would be condemnation. And that was because that was the Pharisee rule. That was the old law. That was the way that they were taught. And so there's compassion. I have compassion for the Pharisees because they don't know better. They don't know different. This is what they've always known. I think that's why we're willing to talk about controversial topics, which I've just skimmed the surface of. I mentioned purity culture. I mentioned homosexuality. And yeah, we're not afraid. We're not going to shy away from talking about those things. Why? Because God loves us and he loves them. And he loves all of us. And it's not a, he loves me more and this person less. No, all equal, all creation, all part of it. But it's also because I think we're still stuck in 
a Pharisee way of viewing God and humanity and the the way that the relationship between God and humanity intersects. And the beautiful, most captivating part of following Jesus for me personally in my faith is that Jesus gives us the freedom to explore him, to get to know him, and to not be afraid of getting it wrong in the process. Because if I'm not trying to prove everyone wrong, but I'm constantly, God, teach me. Teach me who you are. Every time I open my Bible, every time I enter into a conversation with another person, like, would you teach me who you are? Would you reframe my way of thinking if, if I'm off? And I trust God to do that. Therefore, I'm not afraid of getting it wrong. But a lot of times we cling to these rules or we cling to this way of viewing God or we cling to this sense of security, and I would argue a false sense of security, a feeling like I've gotten it right. I understand God fully and wholly, and that's a trap. I would say if we talk about an enemy, that enemy is alive and well, and honestly, a lot of the religious culture is caught under the lie of feeling like there's no way my mind could ever be changed, and yet I'm not being led by the culture. Let's be clear. You're not being led by the culture for our way of thinking to be changed, I'm being led actually by God and the power of his Holy Spirit and trusting that God will lead and direct me. But never will I stand in a position of saying I have everything right. I will tell you that I'm probably going to get a lot of it wrong, but I'm not afraid of that because my life is actually submitted to Jesus. I'm actually in relationship with Jesus, meaning I am seeking to know who he is every single day of my life. So I'm not afraid to get it wrong. And I think a lot, there have been times when I have, even us starting this podcast, I've been scared to sometimes embark on this journey because of fear of getting it wrong. But that's when I allow too much of me to enter it. And I put my own perceptions, opinions, points of views, stories that I've created based on my life experiences. That's when I'm most scared to get it wrong. But when... I'm just, all right, God, I want to encounter you. And I'm moving myself and allowing you to move. It's only then where that fear dissipates, you know? And I think why God didn't want us to eat from the tree, right? In the beginning, the reason why he said, don't eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil is because we would never be good judges. Yeah. <laughs> We weren't going to be good judges. Yeah. He knew, you know, he knew that we weren't going to be good at assessing it. We're not omniscient. We're not all knowing. We're not, we don't have all the knowledge, all the thinking, whatever. And because we don't have all the knowledge, we're never going to be able to properly assess a situation. We're also not as graceful as God. <laughs> yeah. We're as loving, and though we are seeking to be that, we're made in his image and his likeness. Though our flawed is human. And so we do judge. We do make our own opinions or allow ourselves to get in the midst of it. And I just think that's why God never wanted us to have that power. It no. wasn't because he was trying to withhold something from us. But he didn't want that to be the very thing to sever us because we wouldn't be good executors or stewards of it. Yeah. Having that knowledge, being able to assess it, but with a totally different criteria than what God operates with. And I think about that often. Yeah. Around the knowledge of good and evil and identifying what's good and what's evil and do I have a right to say so? But the one thing I do know is good is God. And I know God's love for us is good. And I know that he's called us to love his people. And so I think that's where I'm like, man, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Yeah. So we don't have power to do so either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I know that I speak for TT when I say our hope is that you 
know that this is a safe place, that we want communion to be a safe place for you to come and to, one, hear loud and clear that God loves you and that he wants a relationship with you and whatever you've been told in your life that has told you you were just qualified from that, that those things are not actually true. And two, that we would have the freedom to grapple with our faiths together and you would have the freedom of not being afraid to get it wrong, that you would feel God and the power of of his spirit to give you that freedom to be curious again about who God actually is and what God actually says about you and what what God says about who he is too. And the questions that T.T. has said that she's been asking for a while and that we're asking together. So this has been good. This has been an awesome episode talking about a lot of relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves and how we view ourselves and our relationship with others. So that's always what we're going to talk about on on these episodes. So thanks T for being authentic and coming to the table. And thanks to all of you who are listening and a part of this journey with us. We're so grateful you're here. Let the reconciliation begin. See y'all next time. Thanks so much for listening today. Want to stay up to date with our episodes? Then subscribe to our podcast and newsletter on our website, come-union.com. Follow us on Instagram at come.union. Rather watch our podcast? Then subscribe to our YouTube channel at come underscore union. We are so glad you're a part of this community.